like to welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross, and it's going to be another solo podcast with just me here today. So it's been quite a, a week for us. Last week, we reviewed the Light Fighter Challenge, and we talked with Martin, and we have both Chris's here, and that, that was a pretty good time. And this past week, I have still been getting a lot of feedback, a lot of calls, emails, texts, direct messages, and I even talked in person to a few people in some of the various classes that we ran all about the Light Fighter. And I knew it was going to be a good event, but I'm almost overwhelmed with how positive it's been received. There have been a lot of people who have uh, said, yeah, I'm still sore, but that was great. Can't wait for next year. I'm going to train harder for it. So that's that, that's really cool. That's exactly you know why we did it and, and why we set it up the, the way that we did. Give people a chance to push themselves, get a chance to learn and grow. And yeah, it was a good time. So I'm really appreciative of all that feedback. And we've already made some plans of how we're going to tweak it and how it's going to be better for next year. I know that this season, season three, one of the things that we've dropped is I we dropped doing the 30, 60, 90 as far as what was coming up. The reason for that is with these podcasts, we've done a lot of them in advance when people are here and a couple of times we've done multiple podcasts a day. An example is we, we did two podcasts last week with Martin from Mossy Forge. And we've only dropped one. And the other one we're going to be waiting for maybe a week or two before we drop it. So we've, we've stopped doing the 30, 60, 90 since we didn't know exactly when these, when these podcasts were going to go out. But I wanted to take the time to just talk a little bit about what we have coming up this month yet. We, we have a lot of seminars and, and workshops and, and things that, that are coming, and all of these are an opportunity to keep training and to learn and to grow your skill set, but without the additional cost of, of ammunition and going to the range. So coming up this Friday evening, October 22nd, is our land navigation seminar. So this seminar that we teach a few times a year, we're teaching you how to use a map how to use a compass, how to be able to, to find your way, whether you're in the woods or even navigating in an urban environment. It's a really good seminar. And again, it's one of the reasons why we keep doing it so often is because of how good it is and, and how popular it is. There's a lot of people who just don't know. And this is a good one to invite your friends and family and, you know, and, and come yourself to learn a little bit about how to use a map and just be a little better off, better prepared. This Saturday... October 23rd in the afternoon here at, at LTAC HQ. I'm really looking forward to this seminar. It's a mindset seminar taught by you know, one of my, my best friends. He's just retired as a colonel in the Air Force. And it's going to be all about situational awareness and, and, and mindset. And for those of you who longtime listeners of the podcast or you've heard me talk in some of the different classes, I want to talk about how I started on my road for you know, preparing and and the, the survival mindset and all that kind of stuff, it, it started with him. He, he's the guy who he and I, when I was 12 years old in like two weeks, uh, after the first week of going to our church youth group and got bored, it was he and I on that second week that we snuck out and we walked down to the corner drugstore. And together we discovered Soldier of Fortune magazine and American Survival Guide. So we have both been on, on this journey ever since. So I'm really looking forward to bringing him here I'm flying him in from Idaho, and it should be a very good time, and I'm looking forward to it. As a lot of you know, I already teach uh, two different mindset seminars that I've been teaching now for almost a decade, and they total about seven, eight hours, depending on how much we want to talk. But I'm you know, always the student, and I'm really looking forward to see what he has prepared and his approach to situational awareness. It should be a really good time. I highly recommend you and your friends coming to that. Later on, see the following Friday, October 29th is our GPS seminar. Again, GPS is a lot more than just looking at a screen. And then on the 30th here at, at LTAC HQ, we have two uh, seminars going on that will take up the whole day. The first is improvised tools for defense. So you can read into that all you want. There's times and locations and environments where you can't have a firearm. Um, so we go through different ways and means to improvise. Uh, things that you might find useful to, as additional tools to aid you in, in defense. 
And then also at the end of that day is our introduction to Intel. So this is a, a class that's put together by, by Dark Chris, who, as you guys know, is a Special Forces Intelligence Sergeant. So he's passing on good information for you to help gather intelligence in the military sense. How you can look and in, gather information from your environment and do uh, area studies and take all that data and how to organize it so that it makes sense, so that's useful information for you. It's a very, very good seminar, and that also sets it up for, uh, he has a two-day um, Intel 2 class that we run once, maybe twice a year. Uh, so that'll be, the Intel 2 class will be coming up to the very end of the year, I think in December. And then November 6th, getting into next month, that's also a Saturday. Uh, we have Joshua Prince from the Prince Law Firm. We're hosting him to come here and do his gun rights, firearms rights, uh, seminar. So I've listened in and I've sat into that over the years, probably four times, maybe five times. And every time it's a little bit different because firearms law is so fluid and it's always changing. He's always needing to update it. And again, that's, that's a great, great seminar. And it's almost filled. I think we might have four seats that are left available for that one. And then it's going to get capped out. So I know that that one will, that will get filled. So if you have a desire to, to come and listen to that, you need to sign up soon. So those are some of the things that we have coming up. Again, none of them require ammunition. It's all classroom settings, and you know, that's what we're all about, trying to get good information out to good people. So this past week, uh, we've had some, a lot of good classes. I already mentioned the Light Fighter class. Uh, we also did the intro to uh, emergency food storage class. We ran our pistol marksmanship series, which is three days. We also did on Saturday, four women, everyday carry. And then also we had a filled or full uh, home defense seminar. So again, a full week and with all kinds of good stuff. And out of those classes, we got some interesting feedback as well as we got some questions. So I'm going to take some time to, to elaborate some of the things that were brought out in those classes. Wow, I just had to pause the recorder there for a second. I just got an email. So it looks like I'm, I'm recording this Sunday afternoon. So it looks like there was a shooting today in the Park City Mall in Lancaster. That just reinforces the point for how valuable the training, the things that we're doing are and how important it is for you guys to take this stuff seriously. That mindset seminar and all the other ones that we teach and, and to the, to their credit, um, mindset and situation awareness classes that, that other people teach, that information is so valuable. You know, I don't know what happened to Park City. I don't know any of the circumstances behind it, but other than that, it's close and that it's here in the public. You need to take the time to listen to your senses and learn how to pay attention and be more aware of what's going on around you. I know I shared though I don't know if it aired yet. Maybe it has aired. I forget if I did it with the Light Fighter podcast or if it's going to be in the upcoming one when we just talked to Martin about him and his background in Mossy Forge. But, but regardless, I'll, I'll quick recap it here. As you know, we went out to the funeral for Pam Johnson. And then on the way back, we were driving back as a family, and it was around 9 p.m., and we just got into Ohio. We were on I-80, and we pulled off to a big gas station, you know, one of the big roadside truck gas stations, and this one happened to have an Arby's that was attached to it. And to make a long story short, I left one of the kids, one of my older boys pumping gas. I walked diagonally across the parking lot to look in the Arby's to see if they're still serving. They were. So then I walked across or along the front of the building and walked into the glass foyer of the gas station. And that's when I noticed something out of the ordinary. This man was staring at my van. And then as I maneuvered myself behind him to see his line of sight, to see exactly what he was looking at, not only was he staring towards my van, but he was staring at a couple of my kids. So as he was as some of my kids were walking in uh, through the parking lot to walk into the glass foyer to get into the gas station to use the bathroom, he was tracking them. And at first I thought he was looking at my 14-year-old daughter, but he wasn't. He was looking and tracking my 10-year-old daughter. 
And as they entered in and as he took a step towards her, that's when he realized I was behind him and he flinched. And then he kind of uh, walked quickly away and, and walked into the gas station and then went into into the Arby's. So, you know, then I quick sent a, a text, uh, basically a the a code word or meaning, you know, threw up our family text that basically said, hey, there's potentially bad people around. Make sure you stay with a buddy. Um, and then once I did that, then I went into to observe him to see what was going on. But again, that was just something that was out of the ordinary. Had I not been alert, had I not been paying attention, had I not been situationally aware, who knows what could have happened. In that environment, he could have very easily overpowered my nine-year-old, sorry, my 10-year-old daughter, and then who knows what he could have done. He, you know, in a car and, and then out and away, and we'd never saw her again. In this day and age, you need to be switched on. You need to, as I teach, you can't be uh, unaware. When you're out and about, you need to be relaxed and alert and allowing your senses to, to do their thing. And if you look at all the seminars and all the workshops and everything, even the classes that we just did this past week, from the Life Fighter Challenge to the introduction to emergent food storage, the three-day pistol class, women's EDC, the home defense seminar, everything there is geared towards helping and educating and empowering you to be better prepared, to be situationally aware, to help you use your mind to employ the tools that are at your disposal to keep you and yours safe. Man, Park City, that's nuts. That's not surprising, no. It's not surprising. Okay, so the intro to, to food storage. That was a great class. The broom was almost filled to capacity, and it's a subject that more and more people are getting interested in and want to know how to acquire and get more food, basically to be better prepared, to be self-sufficient. As this is in the news, though, those of us in the know, we, we've known for, for quite a while uh, that, about the baggages and the shortages and like how there's 90-plus um, ships out out in California, like an L.A. port and whatnot, that we're just waiting to be unloaded and if there's a huge backlog, where it used to be a big deal if there was one waiting, let alone 90 or, or more, over 100 now, I think, are, are out there waiting. So our whole supply chain is starting to, to shut down. And, you know, what's the big cause of it? Well, there's a lot of contributing factors, but a lot of it is just the overreach and the, uh, yeah, a lot of it is really just the overreach with the COVID and, and with people reacting the way they were shutting things down and shutting down the economy. And that's just causing all kinds of problems. So if they do start to unload, I think Biden said last week, now we're going to be operating 24 seven to unload. Okay. Where are you going to put the stuff? Where are the storage facilities that are going to be able to hold all that, all those products, all those goods and everything as they're unloading it. It's, it's just a, it's a nightmare and it's, it's not going to get fixed easily. If anything, Things are just going to get more and more backed up, and we're, there's going to be more and more empty shelves. So with this food storage seminar, uh, one of the things that that people kept asking questions about and kept, they kept, kept trying to, to wrap their mind around is they understood, okay, I need to buy fresh things at, you know, that's good for one day, two days, three days. And we really encouraged it to at first start with a, a two-week supply. And then in their, in their minds, trying to make that jump from, okay, we've got this two-week now, and how do we how do we go longer th than that? How do we stretch this out, and how do we store things for, for three months? As an example, and we like to teach two weeks, three months, then after that, try to uh, to get things out, out for a year. A year supply seems to be, and has always been, like the unofficial goal to, to shoot for. So they're having a hard time, you know, making that adjustment and, and how do how do we get there? And really it's it's really simple. You just buy what you're gonna eat so that you eat what you're gonna buy. And after you've established those fresh things that were you know, like a two week uh meal plan, then you just ex extend that. So if I know I need to buy two items, then then I'm buying a third. And if you'll want to extend it out, then you need to, to maybe supplement some of the things. So if I need meat for two meals, okay, that's fresh meat that I'm going to get. But now if I want to buy three, if I only need two so I can start saving, then maybe you can go to, there's different options, canned meat, 
frozen meat, and, and other, other things that, that you can do. And that's really the most effective and efficient way to start to build up that, that food storage. So when there are hiccups, when there are uh, momentary lapses in the supply chain, it won't affect you nearly as much as other people who are dependent on on that grocery store, who are dependent on uh, they only have two or three days worth of, of food, if that, in, in their house. There's a lot of other things that people can do, like the uh, My Patriot Supply or other long-term uh, food storage that you can just outright buy, and, and that that's great. Those are good things. But the problem with that is if you don't already start to rotate and use some of that that food, then it's better than not having anything. But then when it comes down to it, and that's what you need to depend on, if your body's not used to it, or if you haven't gotten into a rotation, then you might, your body might not react as well as you would hope uh, using some of that food. So the whole point of, and what we try to encourage is to, yes, store, yes, have some some supplies again, start with two weeks and three months, and then go to a year if you're able to. But make sure the things that you're storing, you already are, are using them. Um, so you, like I said, you buy what you're going to eat, so you eat what, what you're going to buy. If you buy a lot of wheat, which we do, and uh, we advocate for, a lot of things you can do it. But if you're not using that wheat, if you're not grinding it and making your own bread, if you're not sprouting it and then using that as greens, if you're not cracking it and using it with cereals, if you're not using that, then your body is not going to be ready and prepared for it if that's not already a part of your diet. So, again, that's one of the things we try to teach, and just some of the people just seem like they weren't quite getting that idea. All right, then this past week, we also, like I said, we did the pistol class, and that was a phenomenal class. I was only there in and out a a few times because I had other responsibilities and other things that, that I was doing. But some of the feedback from one individual that we got who was there, I believe at least two, if not all three days, is he was talking to, to Chris who ran, he ran the class Saturday and Kirk and Chris ran it uh, Thursday and Friday. But what he was amazed about is that we actually teach and that we actually take the time to make sure that the students understand what we're teaching, that they understand the principles and then we give them that direct feedback on how to shoot. And he was amazed that He's been to some other places that they just they just seem to be in a, in a rush to, to accomplish drills where there isn't as much education, isn't as much instruction. And and that's one of the things I think we pride ourselves on as as you come to the class. My job is to help you to understand. And if you don't understand the why, if you don't understand the how, then I failed in my job. We've all failed. So that is you know, one of the. That's the whole methodology and how, how we teach. We want you to understand. So the more you understand, the more you understand those eight principles of shooting, the better off you're going to be as a shooter, the better off that you will be able to adjust to different circumstances, different firearms, and employ various techniques to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish. And that's really what that whole marksmanship series is all about teaching those eight principles, those eight fundamentals of shooting, getting that person up to the point where they can put holes in paper where they want them to be so they can gain that confidence. And then with that sure foundation, then it allows them to go on to to other classes where we start introducing the real world or they go to training elsewhere. So we're preparing them and setting them up for success. I wasn't at the uh, women's... uh, four women EDC class because I'm not a woman and Abby likes to run that thing by herself without any kind of interference but I understand that was a pretty good and successful class which then leads me to the last thing that we did this week and that was the home defense seminar and that is always a good time I thoroughly enjoy teaching that class so we talk a little bit about and I know I've, I've shared some of these things on the podcast before we're talking about hardening the home and strengthening you know, like the doors have a, a, a safe room but then the vast majority of the class is talking about room clearing how to clear 
by yourself how to clear uh, with a partner, i.e. husband and wife working together. And some people you know, are very, they're really into the class and, and we're learning a lot, but then they uh, raise the question, but, but I'm not a, on a SWAT team or I'm, I'm not a special forces or I'm not in the army. This is my home. So why would I want to go from room to room to room or, or clear all those hallways? And that's a great point. And it's one that I try to emphasize. If there is a home invasion, the best and safest thing for you to do is to already have that predetermined safe room that's that's ready and that's prepared and and retreat to there and wait. Basically, then you're selecting the time and the location for these individuals who've broken into your home. Um, now they're they're playing by your rules and they're coming to you in a manner that you know you want them to. That's the whole point of having that that safe room. But how do you get to that safe room? Plus, if you have other loved ones, if you have children, uh, how do you get them to that safe room? So you are going to need to clear. You're going to need to clear your way in a technical and a tactical manner to that safe room or, you know, go and recover those children or those other loved ones and get them to that room. So as we talk about clearing rooms, whether it's a corner-fed room or a center-fed room, large room with furniture, open room, you know, whatever, um, that makes for a really good time and, and a good conversation. It's one of my most fun, uh, some of my favorite classes to teach. I really have a lot of fun in that class. One of the questions that came up that is not in the presentation, that's a pretty good question, and I know that I haven't really shared much prior on the podcast, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about it, and that's the outside of the home. Of course, we say your home should be like the gray home. It should blend in with surroundings, nothing that's that's outside the norm. But the one person living a little bit out in the country, uh, he was saying how he has a lot of trees next to his house. And if that made sense, and his rationale was the more trees that are there, then the more cover and uh, protection to his home so people can't quite see his home. Now that's an idea but what I talked with him and what, what makes more sense is getting those trees away from the home. You want to push out so that you can actually see. You want to be able to see those potential threats long before they come up to your home. And it makes sense to put out barricades. I told him as, you know, as a punk kid how um, me and some of my other friends, you know, being mischievous, going in the middle of the night over to some other friends' homes and like, toilet paper in their homes or doing, you know, things like that. Simple mischievous stuff, nothing criminal or nothing like, you know, extreme. But in doing that, uh, the homes that did have the trees right next to them, those are the ones we wanted because we could sneak right up there and nobody would know we were there. No one would, you know, could, could see us or, or, or know anything. But the homes that didn't have trees but had like the really large yard with a f fence around it, those were the ones that are a lot harder because now they have the open perimeter and very easy for us to, to be spotted or be seen. The same thing is, is with your home. So if you have trees that are close, I would highly recommend, you know, cutting them down. If you have bushes and stuff right next to your house, again, those bushes, they're not doing much to help protect. Maybe they're decorative. Maybe they look nice. Maybe everyone in the neighborhood has them. Okay, well, you're blending in in that way. But it's just allowing a location for somebody to get up close to your house and to hide close to your house without being seen. So a good place for bushes, and especially good thorny bushes like, like roses or, or shoot, uh, around here in this part of Pennsylvania, raspberries, things like that, they're going to have thorns. Uh, those are really nice to, for shrubbery, and use those for your perimeter. Or you have that nice fence. It could even be a, a decorative fence, one of those short, you know, like white picket fences or something like that. That has a place where now it's setting a definite barrier. And then everything from that fence up to your home should be clear so that you can see it. So what you're doing is you're, even though it's a, a barrier that's very easily uh, penetrated, it's still requiring that individual to stop and to hop over or somehow get around or get through that fence. So you're slowing them down. So then it's allowing you the opportunity to spot them, to see them, to be aware of their presence as they're coming up to your home. Again, just simple things like that to think about. So you could even have... You can have those bushes out on a perimeter. Or you can have that fence out on the perimeter. And then that's when you want to be able to put up you know, some good surveillance cameras. It can be anything from a, well, 
there's all that's a whole topic in of itself. We should probably bring in a couple of guys to talk about surveillance and to talk about uh, cameras and different types of options and stuff. I'm sure that's something that a lot of you would, would be interested in. But that's where you want your camera system. Motion detectors, uh, motion detectors with cameras, motion detectors with, with lights, and make sure that it's overlapping so that if a person does break that, that perimeter, they do get through that, that fence. The motion detector picks them up, throws on the spotlight, or the camera picks them up, starts to record, um, simple things like that that these individuals, at least in this class, hadn't thought about. And again, it's like not one that we usually cover. But as you guys know, we're always pushing a PACE plan, your primary alternate contingency and emergency with, with as much thing as possible. So as you're pushing that perimeter out, depending on your property, depending on where you live, you can have multiple layers to, of those road bumps, you know, the, to, to stop the progress of individuals who are determined to, to come and get into your home. Just this past week, I think I saw two or three different news stories of suspicious activity. So then people, they did put out those cameras to see what was going on, and they tried to do things to to slow people down. And one, shoot, I heard it on uh, WHP talking in the morning. Somebody thought that someone was getting into uh, their barn, so they set up a, a trail cam and set up, I guess, some things inside the barn to make sure that if anyone was getting in, that they would come by that trail cam. And sure enough, uh, they caught, they had video of some guy busting into their, their barn. I guess he was a little fond of uh, of one of their horses. So they, they caught all that on video. Um, anyways, it's a sick world <laughs> that we live in. There's all kinds of good conversations and things that come out of that, that home defense seminar. Like I mentioned before, we we teach, you know, how to clear rooms, and I go over and talk about weapons handling with a pistol, rifle, or shotgun. And along with that, I guess this is probably the first time that we're announcing some upcoming classes. They're not on the website yet, but this will go out Monday, so maybe by end of day Monday, they should be up on the website. And that's January 13, 14, and 15. We're going to be doing some room clearing classes, home defense classes, um, CQB, whatever you want to term it. And it'll be at Summit Point, West Virginia. So the 13th, which is a Thursday, that is strictly going to be law enforcement. So we'll be you know, teaching that you know, strictly law enforcement class. But then Friday and Saturday, so January 14th and 15th, those will be dedicated to, to room clearing. And at first, we're just going to teach techniques of how to handle a pistol inside, then how to handle a rifle. And then those two days, they'll conclude with not only paper targets and things to engage as you're clearing rooms and as you're working problems, but then also we'll get into force on force. So there'll be active individuals that as you clear rooms, uh, you'll have to all kinds of problems and things. It's really looking forward to it. It's one of the best ways to learn. And that will... We'll be using airsoft, UTMs, and sim rounds uh, in that training. So that goes hand-in-hand, really, with with that home defense seminar. We talk and teach and and demonstrate principles, but then with those those classes that we'll be doing in in January, it's the opportunity to actually take that knowledge and, and, and put it to use and then actually physically work those rooms, clear those rooms, check your corners, as an individual, but also working with a partner, i.e., again, that, that husband and wife working together to, to clear rooms. And the facility that we'll be using is it's really good. Uh, two stories and you know, very good facility. It's very modular. Uh, we've, well, I should say I have been using it to run classes now for probably about five years. So it's a good place. This is the first time, though, that we have done an open enrollment uh, civilian class down at that location. So really looking forward to that. I appreciate you listening. I've talked almost for, for 30 minutes now about some of the upcoming classes as well as reviewing quickly some of the classes that, that we just did, that we just accomplished. And then I highlighted some of the questions and things that people had or some of the feedback they had out of those classes. And I think that's something we don't do very much of, or at least not enough here on the podcast. We usually talk about, you know, someone, they share their experiences, or we talk about one specific topic. But really, we exist as a company, and this podcast exists to help get out good information and good training to you. That's that's really what, what we're all about. 
So we have plenty of opportunities for you to come and to learn and to improve and work on those areas where you're weak. I wanted to spend the balance of this podcast talking a little bit about situational awareness, talking about mindset. And what I wanted to do is near the end of my mindset seminar, I talk a little bit about PTSD, post-traumatic stress, and some of the contributing factors and things that that help to cause it. And then I, I wrap up that seminar with three things that really help a person to be better emotionally and intellectually prepared to deal with a violent encounter or to deal with, with that trauma. And I thought I'd spend a couple minutes and, and reflect and talk about those three things. So the first thing that a person needs to help deal with that emotional trauma, and it can be, you know, anything, whether it's a car crash, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's being involved in a, a violent act, shooting, a gunfight, stabbing, whatever, some kind of uh, whatever the event might be. Um, the first thing and the most important thing for you to have is to have faith into something bigger and, and better than you. And, and for me, I translate that to be, you know, my belief in God, that, that there is a God and that he knows me and that he loves me. I truly believe that. I believe that there is a God and that he not only loves me, but, but loves all of us and that we were created in his image and that, you know, he, he is our God. <clears throat> now, the intent of this isn't for me to preach to you or to even proselyte and, and have you convinced of my personal belief in God. No, the point is, and the principle is, you need to have faith in something bigger and better than you. And you need to figure that out for yourself, whatever that might be. And for me, it's my belief and my faith in God. Every survival book or survival story that I've read, every uh, you know traumatic thing um, that I've read and in, in talking about people surviving through it, whether it's um, Holocaust or some kind of natural disaster or, you know, somebody a rock falling on their arm, they have to cut their own arm off and, and, and make the way to safety or, you know, whatever the extreme thing is. And I haven't read them all, that's for sure. Um, but the vast majority that I have, the thing that they go down to is the thing that helped them stay centered. The thing that helped them get through that event is, is that belief in that higher power or that, that higher thing. And for me, having, um, you know, been in the military now almost 20 years, having deployed a couple of times, having seen a thing or two, the thing that has always kept me stable is, is that belief. It has helped me you know, be centered. It has helped me to have a belief system and a set of morals and principles that as long as I don't cross that or violate those, those morals or those principles, I'm, I'm okay. And I can honestly say that I, I haven't crossed those. And because of that, I haven't had any nightmares or I haven't, you know, experienced any remorse for anything that I did. A friend of mine, he was, I won't mention his name here, um, but he's in the same platoon as, as Darren and I. And I've mentioned Darren plenty of times, my battle buddy. Shoot, he's probably, you know, he listens to, he probably gets a, a chuckle every time I mention him. Uh, a friend of ours, he was on a 240, which is the 762 machine gun and our platoon we were doing a hit we were hitting a house and so we had a squad that was actually doing the hit in the house we had another squad that was the inner security or the inner circle and then we had our Iraqi partners on the outer circle so while the squad was hitting the house uh, a vehicle some car came screaming towards us and as it uh, blew through the outer perimeter, the Iraqis, who I don't know what they were doing, telling them to say, hey, stop. And, you know, probably with that much motivation. So this car screamed right past them. So they're coming right towards where we're at, at the house. So we had the inner security. And our, our friend, he was behind the 240. He lit that car up and stopped the car. So when we went to clear the car, the, if I recall correctly, the driver was dead the passenger was mortally wounded. He, he was going to die, but he was alive when we got there. And when we searched the car, no firearms, no guns, no grenades, no bombs, no nothing. 
the car was completely clear. It probably just was those two guys driving, wrong place, wrong time, and they ignored all the warning signs, and they didn't stop. So they lost their lives because of that. And I recall that uh, the chaplain for our, for our battalion, he wanted to talk to the guy who, who pulled the trigger behind the 240. He was really concerned that he might be all upset. And he wasn't upset. He, he shouldn't have been upset because he did absolutely nothing wrong. He stayed within those morals. He stayed within you know, those, uh, those principles. He wouldn't have pulled the trigger if they hadn't already crossed one or about ready to cross a, another perimeter. So using that experience, and I've had similar experiences of my own where I took life and then other times when I spared life. And because I never crossed that moral line and never did it when it was, never took a life when it was morally wrong, uh, I've, I have a clear conscience. I've experienced other things with loss of friends um, and other traumatic events that, I mean, they're horrible. They're sad. I lost my, uh, my first junior Bravo uh, when I got to fifth group. I wasn't in fifth group very long before he died. It was horrible. I'm still sad about it. I'll always be sad about it. But it's my faith and my belief in God keeping me centered, keeping an eternal perspective, knowing that there's a horrible circumstance, but he'll live again. That's helped me to more easily deal with, with that emotional trauma and deal with everything and be able to push on. Having that faith in something bigger than you it's not going to make life easier. It's not going to necessarily make, uh, you know, hard things go away, but it'll help you put things into perspective so that you can continue, so that you will be able to continue to function, to continue to do the things that you need to do and not get trapped and not get locked into an emotional stunting or emotional, you know, stop of, of whatever it is you're doing and not being able to, to perform, not be able to do your job or not being able to interact appropriately with your family and with your loved ones and with other people. It's really important to find, if you don't already, to find that thing that you can put your faith in that is bigger, that is better, that is more inspiring than you to help you stay humble, help you keep your center, help you stay focused. I know if it wasn't for that for me, I wouldn't be able to function. So I've... I've been in, in some gunfights, as you well know. Um, I've been to SF Selection. I've been to SF, well, I've been to Sear School. I've had other hard experiences. But for me, really few things are, have been more stressful or harder, and it's just me. It's not the case for everybody, than being a small businessman and being able, you know, and dealing with trying to run a business with all the drama uh, and and, and everything associated with that things, some things that are my fault, and a lot of things are completely out of my hands. And that's the worst. Things that I have no control over that affect me or affect my business or attack me or attack my business. Um, that's pretty darn stressful. And if it was not for my faith, my belief in God, that belief in that higher power, that higher thing, I would not be able to be where I'm at today. I would not be able to function. I'm very appreciative that I learned that at a young age. And then as I studied mindset, as I've studied situational awareness, as I've studied violent encounters and emotional trauma, everything keeps coming back to that. You need to have that belief in something bigger and something better than you. I'm very thankful. Like I said, I learned that when I was young. I'm very thankful for my belief in my relationship with my God. And I encourage you, as strongly as I'm able, to find that for yourself. Like I said, life won't be any easier, but you'll be able to deal, you'll be able to cope, you'll be able to be whole. You'll be able to move forward and progress. You'll be able to function. So the second thing that's extremely important that we get, that I talk about and list examples in my mindset seminar 
to help you deal with the emotional trauma or help you deal with a violent encounter. And that's to have prior to that experience is to have some kind of a previous stress inoculation. And that means, you know, putting yourself in training or in another environment, um, dealing with that stress, dealing with the fight, flight, or freeze response as that adrenaline, as that epinephrine courses through your body. You need to experience that beforehand. The more you experience that beforehand, the more that you'll be able to understand what's happening with your body on a physiological level so that while you're in that moment, you'll be able to cope, you'll be able to function, you'll be able to do something instead of just freezing or just running away. Uh, Colonel uh, Grossman, his books, On Killing and On Combat, he gets into some of that, and those are worth reading. Those are worth checking out as he approaches that subject. And there's some interesting things in, in some of his books and some other reading that, that I've uh, gathered. One of the things is how there's always been PTSD or, or you can, they used to call it shell shock or, or other things. You know, that always was there, but it seemed like in Vietnam, it really took a huge spike. And one of the reasons why that is we had a cultural shift Prior to that, uh, again, speaking generally, not individually, a, a lot of people who were entering the military or experiencing, you know, combat, they had an idea like we're the, of the circle of life. Where do we get food? Where, where do I get that steak? Well, I'm going to go out in the back 40. And I'm going to put down that cow. And I'm going to butcher it myself. And then we're going to cook it up. And that's where the food comes from. But we had a cultural shift. So now we had a, a generation, probably the first generation, um, that we've had, again, speaking generally, not individually, who went to war and they never experienced that. Well, where does the food come from? It comes from the grocery store. Where do you get your meat? Well, in the meat section. And they've never firsthand experienced the circle of life. So now there they are in the jungles of Vietnam, and now they're experiencing death for the first time. They're experiencing you know, shooting or combat for the first time. But they never had that stress inoculation. They never butchered their own chicken when they were a kid. They never, you know, went hunting before. They never slaughtered their own steer for food. So now for the very first time in their life, they're experiencing that and they weren't prepared. So we had this huge spike and people not knowing how to deal with and, and not know how, how to function. You know, so much larger percentage of, of PTSD. So it's important for you to experience, get that stress inoculation beforehand. That doesn't mean you have to go hunt. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go and, you know, slaughter your own steer, though those things are certainly helpful. And as you know, we certainly teach self-reliance. So if you have your chickens, I know we do, uh, and if you have a steer or two and have your own milk cow, good for you. Certainly encourage that. But there are other ways and, and means to, to get some of that experience. And that's one of the re reasons why I personally have set up the training the, the way that we do. Sure, in our level one classes, you're not getting much stress. Showing up to the range itself for the first time ever, that's stressful enough. You don't need me doing anything else to already add to all that self and do stress. But once we start getting to our level two classes, and then definitely in the level three classes, they are set up in a way so that you can feel and you will feel stress you will get that adrenaline dump but it's also manageable and the problems we put in front of you are the specific drills that we have are done in in an organized fashion so that you can experience that adrenaline dump you can you can get in a manageable way some of that feeling while you perform on this drill and then after you recover you can evaluate it either we talk about it or you can self-reflect and then we go ahead and we do another one that's just a little bit more stressful or just added a little bit more. So in those degrees, you're getting stress, stress, stress. The drills are getting progressively harder and more difficult, making you think more, requiring you to perform a little bit better as that stress increases. So again, by design, good training will help you get a small dose of, of that stress, quote unquote, to get that stress inoculation prior to. And it, that, that doesn't mean that you need to be dumb. We're not trying to, to beat our chest and be louder than the next person, nor does it mean that you are uh, 
stress doesn't equal putting you into increasingly more dangerous or foolish settings or situations or, or drills. N- not at all. But there are definitely different things that, that you can do and that we do to add stress or add a little bit more difficulty to, to that problem, to that drill. Good training is great in preparing you to experience and, and to feel that stress, to get that stress inoculation. So that is, you know, the second thing. Again, the first is to have that belief in, in something bigger than you. The second is prior to the experience that you've had, you've had some kind of stress inoculation. The third thing is living in the real world. And that might seem simple, but it's kind of hard for some people. Uh, too many people, they get this romantic idea of what they want the world to be and it's just not that one of the problems that um grossman identifies and some other people too is not everyone but a lot of people as an example they get hooked into video games especially first person shooters i i enjoy some of them they're they're very fun they're a lot of they're very entertaining but what some people do is they get trapped into that and they start thinking that that's the world especially young uh you know youth young kids. So they get stuck in this fantasy world that I need to kill more so I get a bigger gun, so I can kill more, so I can get a bigger gun, so I can kill more, so I can get a bigger gun. And there's no repercussions or consequences to their actions. So they start living in this fantasy world. And there's so much of that, of people who are self-deceived living in a a fantasy world, not living in in reality. I I would uh, say that even though there are remnants of the Occupy Wall Street movements that are still around, and a lot of them now have morphed into Antifa and, and other such things. But the idea that I'm going to, of my own free will, take on loans and then go to school and take on more loans and go to more school, and then somehow I don't need to be called to account and I don't need to pay for those loans. So an appropriate response is for me to throw a temper tantrum and demand that even though this is something I willfully agree to, that now I don't want to pay because it's not fair. Uh, you know, again, speaking generally, that that's just not, that's, that's not the real world. There are other options and other solutions and other things that a person can do, but just not living in the real world. And that doesn't make sense. And there's so many other things that people are, are self-deceived, thinking that, you know, if we just love the people that hate us, you know, if we just give more money to to the Taliban, they're, they're going to love us. You know, if we just turn over the country to them, everything's going to be okay. Uh, everything's going to be great and hunky-dory. Oh, they're going to—they're not going to persecute women or children in, in Afghanistan. I mean, that's just—that's just not reality. That, that's just fake. So, anyways, that's enough of that. But— that is just reinforcing the need to actually live in the real world and see the world for, for what it is. You know, life sucks sometimes. Life deals you a bad hand. Oh, well, it, it, it sucks to be you. You can choose to just stop and cry about it and, and not work and better yourself. Or you can just accept it for what it is and just take one more step in front of the other and just keep pushing on. The choice is, is yours. One of the examples that we use is a news clip that I use in that, in that, uh, in my mindset seminar. And it's phenomenal. It's a news clip talking about a home invasion. Two guys break into this home. They've got guns. Um, a mother and a couple of her kids barricade themselves in the mother's bedroom. The guy's breaking in. They shoot through the door and they hit a 12 year old boy in the hip That sucks. That's horrific. What did the boy choose to do? Did he choose to feel sorry for himself and sit down on the floor and cry and let bad things happen? No. He picked up a twenty-two rifle. He returned fire. He chased the guys out of the house. And as the news report ends, it says that he put one of the guys who broke into the house, he's was currently then at the hospital in critical condition. So that little man saw the world, saw that, (laughs) saw the world for what it was, didn't live in a fantasy world, and decided not to feel sorry for himself, and he took the fight to them. That's awesome. 
that really is awesome. And that's what, you know, I, I encourage you guys to do. Live in the real world. The world right now is crazy. It is crazy. And no amount of believing that, well, if we just stick our head in the sand and it's all going to go away is going to help. Um, there's all kinds of things that you can actively do to be better today than yesterday so you can be better tomorrow than what you are today. All kinds of things. Being more self-reliant. Working to improve your skill set. Working to know your neighbors. And it's okay that if your neighbors are different, it's okay if you're different than them. But you know, getting to know them so that if there is a, an emergency in your neighborhood, at least you already have a dialogue with, with your neighbors and that's the real world and maybe you can lend a helping hand. Maybe they can lend a hand to you. So much of that is missing right now. A part of that living in the real world, too, is giving yourself a good self-evaluation. Who are you? How are you doing? What do you stand for? And think about your friends and associates. Who are they? Are they really good people? Are they not good people? If things really were to get bad, are they the kind of people that you would want with you? Are you the individual or the person that if things really got bad, people would want you around to help? Give yourself that hard look. Live in the real world. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And that's one of the things why the Light Fighter Challenge was designed the way it was. Some people had this mental image of themselves. And then they came to that and they got a dose of reality. Some new weaknesses were revealed. And I know I've, I've been thanked multiple times. Like I mentioned before, we've been contacted in multiple ways. People thanking me for they, they, I'm quoting now, I had this mental picture of who I was. And then going through that challenge, I realized how weak I was and how that mental image was nowhere close to who I really am. Thank you. Now I know I, I know where I need to focus now I know where I need to, to put in some work. So you need to live in reality, not in the fantasy world. Life is not World of Warcraft, nor is life Star Wars. <laughs> nor is life John Wick, as entertaining as that is. This is the real world. This is the real world that if I wasn't situationally aware, if I wasn't paying attention and noticed something out of the ordinary, Right now, my 10-year-old daughter could be gone, and I might not have ever seen her again. But because this is the real world, I still have my daughter. You know, we have kicked around, and now I'm brainstorming live. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how safe that is to do and record this podcast, to brainstorm like I am. But we've been kicking around for a while. What kind of a activity outside of just us sitting in a classroom, no matter how good it is, and we put out a good product, as you know, uh, how, no matter how good it is, us sitting there going blah, 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 um, but actually physically do something. And we picked out a location that would be very good to do some uh, situation awareness drills, to work with a crowd. And you know what? We're, we're going to do that. We're going to figure that out and... We will do that just so that we will have an opportunity to run some training and run some drills in a large crowd um, that will be very worthwhile so that we can teach a principle, we can teach a truth, and then let you guys practice it for real and then be able to evaluate and, and talk about it. So you guys can have some real learning, some real growth. You can get that stress inoculation, as I just talked about, through running these kind of drills. So be looking forward to that as well. I will put that in the motion, and we just need to do that. We need to do that. You need to do that. You need to participate and have that experience. And I don't know if I've mentioned it here, but, but when we moved from Fort Bragg, when we moved from Fayetteville to, to Clarksville, we, we already had some kids. Uh, we already had four children, and 
I think Abby might have been pregnant with our fifth child. So my oldest boys, you know, they were six, seven years old or whatever. And we purposely, yeah, we, we purposely bought a, a home that had a couple acres of property that behind the home was woods. We had woods in our property. And then behind this big thing of woods was some farmer's fields. And our intent was we wanted our kids to be kids. We wanted them to have the freedom and the luxury to just go in the backyard and go play, go explore, go break an arm, go break a leg, go be kids. And they did. And they did that for a couple of years. And uh, especially our oldest, our, our twins, they really thrived in this great environment for them. And of course, they were joined with their, their you know, our third oldest, our, their other brother, and then eventually uh, our oldest daughter was out there playing with them and everything. So it was good for them. But uh, I was somewhere with, with them, and we were in a crowd, and I realized that they, they didn't know how to act. They didn't know how to respond. It was kind of intimidating for them. So what I did, once I had this realization, what I started doing was whenever we would have a short day, and you know, being active duty, a fifth group, sometimes we put on some really long days. I want to say that I, on the average, worked a lot more than 40 hours a week, but at the same time, if we didn't have anything going on, and we'd already gone in and did PT and took care of whatever small tasks. You know, if it was noontime and there's nothing else going on, every once in a while, we would just cut out for the day. So on some of those short days, I'd come home, grab my, my twin boys, and then we would drive the 45 minutes down to Nashville. And then if you've never been to Nashville, there's a place called Broad Street. And that place, something is going on 24-7 there. There's a bunch of bars, a bunch of honky-tonks, also all kinds of touristy stuff there. There are people all over that street. So what I did with my twins, and again, at this point, they're probably like eight, nine. I got them in front of me and said, okay, you guys just walk. And then I was a couple steps behind them. And I just wanted to walk through that street, you know, walk on that sidewalk in front of all those places. Um, and just interact, just walk, just get used to people next to them. And the first couple of times it took them down there it was pretty intimidating. They were pretty like, you know freaked out and didn't want anyone to touch them. But then after the fourth or fifth time, they started to relax. They were able to now to walk that along that sidewalk with all those people and they were comfortable. And then as they were starting to, to be comfortable, then they could actually start to think and process and then they could make decisions. Or prior to that, they couldn't think. They were just, their senses were, were overloaded and they weren't used to that experience. So with me allowing them to have that experience, with them walking there, they were learning to, one, live in the real world. This is the real world. There are real people here, real situations. And then, two, they were getting, for those, those young minds of theirs, they were getting that stress inoculation. They were getting into that unfamiliar environment and learning to deal with that, freaking out about it, but still, you know, looking back at me like, no, just keep walking. I'm right here. You're fine. And then finally, like I said, third time we were there, fourth time we were there, finally starting to, to be able to relax. So maybe, not maybe, but something like that is what we will organize and set up for you. That's going to be a good time. It's going to be, be a good class. Actually, I would call that a workshop more than a class. But yeah, that'll be a good time. Mm. I love what I do. I love working with you. I love talking with you guys. I love sharing my experiences. And I love watching your growth. Best job in the world. I think that's a good place to wrap up. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. We have a wide variety of uh, podcasts lined up where we're going to be interviewing my buddy, my friend. That should be extremely entertaining entertaining because not only we're going to talk about his career and also about what he's teaching his mindset stuff but i think we're also going to get a third buddy of ours in there so be he and i then a, again a friend of ours from our crew when we when we were 12 and i know we're going to be telling a lot of stupid stories that should be we're going to have a fun time you might not but i know we're going to have a fun time and then also coming up i will be interviewing josh joshua prince as well as, as some other people so we've got a lot of good podcasts and things lined up Plus, we have the uh, Martin's podcast that will probably drop probably in two weeks. Um, so we have a lot going on. And again, I appreciate you guys. And I'll talk to you next time. I don't know. Fly casual. Mm.